Well, welcome to the Walrus and the Carpenter. My name is Jason Allgood. I'm the teaching pastor of Fellowship Bible Church here in Peoria, Illinois. And with me, as always, is Gary Gear, pastor of Calvary Baptist Bible Church, also in Peoria. And Gary, how are you doing over there in uh, Winterland? I, I actually just put on gloves. I literally <laughs> just put on gloves as you were talking because they're I'm hobo so, gloves, though. You I, have, yes, they are. Well, no, this <laughs> this is so I can walk oh, and change things on my phone. Uh, there you go. That. You, you opted for not the ones that actually have the touch on the end of no. the glove. You went for the cut a hole in I, the end. I cut a hole in one because I'm going for the Bob Cratchit look. Yeah, I'm just waiting to see the yellowed on the end of your fingertip from smoking. That's I do. I actually do vaping. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it is so great to be back in the recording studio uh, here. We can, and, and where we can see our breath. We can see... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we have a very special guest with us today, and Gary, I'm going to let you introduce him. Uh, we've actually had him on here before, um, and so I won't go into too much, but I've known John Ellis for a number of decades, uh, good friends of the family. And uh, the reason why we asked John to come on today is uh, he has a pretty, I don't know if i call it unique, I don't know if anyone else is doing this, but I have not heard of this type of ministry before as far as uh, as far as apologetics and young people. So I'm just going to throw this over to John Ellis. And John, if you kind of want to give us just a bird's eye view of what you're doing now and kind of how you decided to do it, like what took you to that place? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, and first, thank you for having me back on. Um, I enjoyed the last time, so I'm operating under the assumption this time will be enjoyable as well. Um, <laughs> you so, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, well, that's okay. Even if it's not enjoyable, at least I'm in 80-degree temperatures right now. Um, <laughs> Man. So four years ago, about four years ago, a friend of mine uh, who was a high school teacher um, contacted me, and he was uh, teaching at a large, uh, broadly evangelical Christian school in South Carolina. Um, and he was also the faculty advisor of the apologetics club there. And he asked me if I would come down and do some apologetics sessions. And so he came up with what I'm about to explain. This is not out of my brain. This was out of his. So what he had me do was come down and uh, tell my story. Um, I, I don't know if we talked about this the last time, but you know, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, God never made sense to me. I uh, went to Bob Jones University. By the time I left, I was an avowed atheist, uh, spent almost all of my 20s as an atheist. Uh, by God's grace, I repented and believed in Jesus uh, a little less than a month before my 29th birthday. So what, what, what I do is, is, I, is I give the first part of that story. I explain to the students uh, that I grew up in a Christian home, uh, that I had doubts, uh, doubts of God's existence, uh, struggled with the problem of evil, uh, the veracity of Bible, uh, whether we can trust the Bible or not, uh, and then uh, how I became an atheist. And then I, I stop and I ask them, I say, okay, so who here has had some of these same questions and doubts that I have? And usually almost every single hand goes up. Hmm. And then I say, okay, so how many of you have found answers for those questions and doubts? And again, most of the hands go up. Now, and then now, I say, now well, good. pausing right here, you've not yeah. told your whole story, so they still view you at this point as someone who's fallen away or as an unbeliever or whatever else. I, I want our audience to recognize that. Well, sometimes. It just it, it works both ways. Okay. Um, right. My friend, my, my teacher friend, Michael, who came up with this, he likes to do it that way. Um, so, yeah, so the first time I did it, they, the, the students actually believed I was an atheist at this point. Um, 
So then I say, okay, uh, you found answers and questions. Now help me find the, the same answers and questions. See if you can, you can solve my problems. And so then we start a discussion. Um, it goes poorly from their perspective, <laughs> of course. Um, so uh, that's usually about 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes of discussion. So then I stop. And with the, the students that think that I'm an atheist at this point, I'll say, like, okay, like, we're going to, and this is where I usually take a break. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to have a discussion, and hopefully we'll part as friends. So then they come back, I finish telling my story about how I became a Christian, and then we go back through the conversation, talk about better ways to dialogue uh, with atheists or skeptics, uh, better ways to share the gospel, these type of things. Um, I, it's So I've done that, I've this is the fourth year I've done that in schools, and the first time, uh, this for the first time a couple of weeks ago, I did it with adults at a church, uh, which was very rewarding. So that's the general overview of what I do. So uh, real quickly, just because you added that there at the end, what was the difference that you saw between students and adults? when you Because you've done it obviously many times with students. Was there anything mm-hmm. significant about doing it with adults? Um, yeah, there were several takeaways from that. First off, I was I was terrified mm. uh, to do it in front of adults um, because part of what I do is part of the, the, the one of the main objectives for what I do um, is I want I try to approximate what an actual conversation with atheists often go like. Like oftentimes when we think of apologetics, we think of formal debates, but the reality is is that when you're sitting with your coworker or your family member or friend or whomever there are no debate rules in place. And so the right. conversations are often frustrating and discouraging. Um, so, so with, so one of my fears was is that if I have a room and, and, and I knew the audience beforehand, there were like seminary professors there, oh, people wow. with seminary degrees. And I thought, okay, like if they know the apologetics arguments better than I do, like, can I, what happens if they stump me? Like, like, mm-hmm. am I going to be a good enough atheist in the moment? <laughs> um, so I was, I was worried about that. Um, and another aspect, that something that I did with the adults I don't do with the teens, especially the teens who, who don't know my, the end of my story, I, I had a, a moment at the beginning where I cautioned everybody to, to be aware that, that even though in a sense that, I, that I'm role-playing, and in a sense that they're role-playing too, they're still representatives of Jesus, uh, so be careful to not say something that they'll regret later or say something in a manner they'll regret later. Because as an atheist, I can be quite quite rude and irritating and insulting. Um, I say things that, that, you know, Christians are definitely not supposed to say. Uh, so I just, I, but that was also one of my fears is, is that the nature of it, the emotional content of it would could prompt some people, uh, especially men, let's be honest, Mm-hmm. Um, to respond in the moment in a way that they would regret. Uh, so it, the, in terms of difference, uh, what the biggest difference I found, outside of just the content of the discussions, um, with the teens, there's more organic interaction amongst them. So it, in the discussions, if and when I stump a student, their classmates are, are much more willing to jump in and, and try and come to their aid than the adults were. With the adults, it felt more like, you know, one-on-one basketball, one right after the other type of thing. Sure. Uh, I don't know if that's a product of their age or the, the difference, because, you know, high school, you know, they're, they're classmates in high school, so they know each other a little better. 
that's one thing as Lord willing, if I'm able to do this more with adults, I'd like to try and find a way to, to get the adults to be more organic and open in a free flowing conversation. I think you'd have to do that more in a small group type setting, because once you put people separated from each other, like in pews or in seats in a larger auditorium, mm-hmm. people move away from the tribal and move to the individual just by default without thinking about it. That's just my yeah, thought. and we and then that's something we've thought about. So so like we didn't put a cap we didn't because we didn't really, we didn't think about the need to put a cap on it. So after we'd already um sent the, the, the information out to get invites. And so thankfully there are only like 30 adults there. Um, and we arranged the chairs in a semicircle and I try, I tried to, I tried to make it as informal as, as possible. Right. Um, so that, that is, yeah. So that is one thing looking ahead, you know, cause I, I, I would love to, to, to book this in churches for adults. I'm going to have to have something on it to say like, look, the, the, the adult, the audiences need to be, no more than 25 to 30 because then beyond that it's going to end up feeling like you know queuing up at a microphone so um, so 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 looking at all of this and as you proceed with this what need in the church are you seeking to meet with this um being better at uh making disciples um and what i mean by that is is that Oftentimes, this is one of the things I, I hear from adults. Oftentimes, people are afraid uh, to actually initiate conversations, especially with hardened skeptics. They don't know what to say. Um, so, one of the the goal I have is 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 to be an encouragement to people uh, to be faithful in sharing the gospel, even if even if even if their next door neighbor is the an atheist head of the sociology department of the state university. Right? Like, it's we're not. One of the things I always tell the students is. We're not called to win arguments. We're called to make disciples. Um, so to encourage that way, um, also just to be able to to allow fellow believers the opportunity to have a semi-control, you know, somewhat controlled discussion with an atheist, see what it feels like, and then go back and, and give them some tools to help them engage better in the future. Um, and also just to, to give us permission to lose arguments. Mm. I was this morning. In fact, I was on the phone with a, a, a friend of mine who um, is a missionary overseas, and she had she spent we spent a couple of hours on the phone. Her, her asking me questions about this because she's she's met an atheist and uh, was wanting to know some better ways to communicate because she feels kind of at a loss. So th- those are those are essentially the main objectives for what I'm why I'm doing this. You 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 said something interesting a moment ago, and Jason noted it where. We're not called to win arguments, and it's okay actually to lose arguments. How do you that that almost seems to run counterintuitive to your basic apologetics uh, framework? You know that the idea. <laughs> yeah, it, and again, that depends on what you mean by basic apologetic frameworks. Because I'm actually I'm actually a bad apologist. Like I don't. It, what I mean by that is I actually don't like apologetics. Um, so, for example, like whenever I meet people and the first thing they ask me is, uh, are you a presuppositionalist? My assumption is I'm going to, like, extract myself from this conversation as quickly as possible. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually have that and, question and, written down here. I, I will have you know that. <laughs> Interview's over. <laughs> that was a great show. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
<laughs> well, I, I will happily answer that. It just the, your listeners may not be happy with my answer. Like, I, I, I love apologetics. I love studying about apologetics. I love reading apologetics. Um, I just, in my experience, people who lead conversation, when they meet a new believer, they meet somebody, and they lead off the conversation really gung-ho about talking about apologetics. Okay, fair enough. Oftentimes, they... I get the impression that they're more that they're more concerned with with demonstrating how sophisticated they are mm. than they are with with obeying Matthew twenty eight. No, nineteen. I, and I would um, I would definitely grant you that. I mean, there there is a sense we forget at the end of the road, we are to proclaim Christ, and we are not to proclaim John Frame or you know Gundry or whoever else. Um, and that's, yeah, that's the police don't misunderstand yeah. what I'm saying. No, I, mean, I totally I understand wanna, what you're saying. Like, yeah, I, I actually advocate. Um, like I think, I think if we have the ability and the, the the options to learn, you know, apologetic arguments, you know, classical arguments, evidentialist, presuppositionalism, whichever, whatever, but we should do that because you know, First Peter three fifteen does tell us to be prepared to answer mm-hmm. those who have questions, and so I, I encourage everyone. To, to learn um, formal apologetics arguments, it's just we, we need to understand the Holy Spirit has promised to work through the Word, not through um, syllogisms. Well, and John, if I hear what you're saying, you're, you're saying if somebody leads with that question, you kind of know where the conversation is going. They already have kind of their mind made up that if you're not a presuppositionalist, you know, you don't fit in their tribe or camp, then maybe you're not worth mm-hmm. listening to or to have a conversation with. Um is that am I reading that correctly in what you're saying? Yeah. Also, to to be frank, I'm not really interested in, in defending my own specific sure apologetic preferences sure. or hearings. Like I'm not. It's to me they're more valuable things to have a conversation about. Like I love sure. obviously I love discussing apologetics. I just and I think you brothers have probably experienced this. You know, you can tell it's not every time someone says, "Hey, are you a presuppositional of this?" Because sometimes it is a legitimate curiosity. Sure. But oftentimes it's like the cage stage Calvinist, right? right. They've just that's what yeah, I'm thinking. They've yeah. read Van Til once, Van Til right. once, right. And, and or they heard somebody they reference Van Til. <laughs> well, I, I was I was in correspondence with a college. One of our our kids from our church had gone down for an apologetics conference, and they emailed me and they said, "Okay, this is all these resources." I said, "Hey, I'm just letting you know I'm a presuppositionalist. I really appreciate you guys mm-hmm. do. So, what type of material do you have? Even that in that area could help me out." Or, you know, that would help us out as a whole. And they're like, we're not exactly quite in line there, but this is what we're looking at. And to me, it's good to use as a baseline just to skip over a lot of conversation. It's it's not meant to be, here I stand and God help me, amen type thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's terribly useful. Um, yeah, and I, I understand that and I agree with that because I kind of take that same tack. Like when we moved down here to the Orlando area this past summer, you know, I had specific questions that I would ask pastors, like, are you reformed? Um, and, and it was mainly just to give me a, a baseline of, of what to expect from them, what their perspective right. was. Right. Um, so so I do, I do, by God's grace, I do try to be mindful when people talk to me about apologetics, you know, where, where they're they're coming from and what their curiosity level actually is. But again, like I, and on the, I know this isn't radio, but I'm a semi-ludite, so I don't know what else to say. You know, on, on a radio broadcast like this, it's, it's impossible, next to impossible for, for me to adequately explain 
what I'm talking about. Like, but I think that you guys and your listeners will know what I mean. Like, you can right. see it in their eyes. Like, sure, just, absolutely. You, you can tell that they spend much of their day watching YouTube videos of of people like um, cornering atheists on the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> type of thing. Well, here now, go why ahead. do you keep bringing up Florida and you beach know. and warm weather, brother? It feels like you're you're pelting us with this. Sounds with, like a yeah. sin problem. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, it is. It is. The reality is, is that living in Florida means that I am living in an environment that is closer to the new heavens, new earth than you brothers are right now. Uh, you know what? Snow kills, and so snow is obviously a product of the fall. And so do alligators, brother. <laughs> hey, um, hey. We... <laughs> um, now going back to the presentation itself, and even just looking at the idea of discipleship slash apologetics or whatever but when if if if, if joe six-pack christian is talking to someone who's a skeptic you know maybe it's his co-worker or it's her neighbor friend or whatever else what basic categories do you see the skeptic bringing forth like they hear that you're a believer and and they want to confront that what what basic arguments are you going to see them roll out um, that's that's interesting. Actually, the, a lot of the professional apologists um, have have noted that over the last several years, conversations like on airplanes or at the park or wherever have changed, and they they've moved away from the more classical discussions about you know uh, the existence of God and and more towards the problem of evil, um, existential type questions, and that's been my experience too. Uh, usually, when I, I talk with a skeptic, uh, it's it's less about formal, you know, Aquinas's five ways type of discussions, right. and more about problems of evil, uh, problems of you know, the, the sexuality, things like that, existential concerns. Um, and I think that's probably what most people are going to experience in their day to day life. Now, do you feel like, for again, your basic believer? Is that a question that they would feel more capable of wrestling with than, let's say, an ontological or cosmological argument or something like that? Um, yes, I, I would hope so. Uh, I would hope so even for professional apologists, because the, like the, the Aquinas' five ways, all these, these formal um, arguments, so to speak, are, operate a, a headspace um, that is important. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I want to be careful that I, I don't, you know, rag on on it, on it too much. It, it's important, but they don't. They don't really touch what it means to be an image bearer the way some of these other questions touch. I think. Right. Um, and so, so for all of us, uh, whether you have a PhD in apologetics or whether you, this is the first time you've ever heard the word apologetics, the problem of evil is, is probably something you, you know we've all had to wrestle with. Um, in our own hearts, and and the gospel is the 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 solution to that. Right. Um, now that being said, I don't think most Christians take the problem of evil as seriously as it actually is. Um, Elaborate. Well, it's an actual problem, right? Like we don't, as a you know, with uh, apologies to William Lane Craig um, and the Molinists. Don't, we don't apologize. Know to why them. evil exists. <laughs> I know I was a that was that was somewhat tongue in cheek. Um, we so so I actually wrote an article about uh, the apologetic of I don't know. 
Um, and this came out of one of my sessions with students last year. Uh, the problem, we were in the, the, the second half of the discussion part of it, and someone asked about, you know, why did God create Adam and Eve if he knew they were going to sin? And the classmates, their classmates chimed in. A lot of the church, you know, normal free will type of stuff. Um, and I just let them talk, and then finally they turned to me, and I said, I don't know. Uh, I said, I said, I don't know. Like, I, I, I know what the solution is. I know that it's, that it's ultimately for God's glory. I said, but that's a question that's way above my pay grade. Um, and, then I, and then I went on to explain that, like, look, if, if God is who he says he is, then there should be moments where we say, I don't know, because mm-hmm. that's actually an apologetic. Mm-hmm. If, if, we, if we could know everything about God, then he's not God. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, so most, of, uh, most Christians, I think, especially in the, the broader evangelical tradition, when people start asking about the problem of evil, we, we, we feel like we have to defend God or have to defend our faith, and so we come up with a lot of solutions that the Bible never even hints at, um, instead well, of just simply acknowledging, like, look, it is a problem. But you know what? The Bible offers a solution to it in Christ, so, yeah. And I, I, I think one more thing, too, and I think this is what something we as believers forget theologically is that when we talk about the problem of evil or we talk about why God allows these things or why even God punishes us, that that can only be based on, on, on a view of God that no unbeliever can ever understand, and thus it will always be incomprehensible to them. There, there's, there's, it's like explaining color to a blind a person who's been born blind. Um, yeah. we understand the goodness of God to some degree and we start to see our own sin. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of uh, gulag by Anne uh, Applebaum, her history of the gulag system in the Soviet union. And I know this sounds horrible, but it, it kind of makes you glad that God created hell to, to put some of these, these people in. And when you see man's incredible depravity, but I can guarantee you there's no unbeliever who's ever going to get that, not because of knowledge, but because they don't have the Holy Spirit within them. I mean, they simply don't have the capacity to think in those terms. And mm-hmm. we try to explain things that simply cannot be explained, even with what little we know. Yeah. Hey, John, and, well, and, and, go ahead, man. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, that's, that's a, that's a, it touches on another, uh, to me, a good apologetic point about the existence of morality. So mm-hmm. um, we all long for a transcendent punishment for not necessarily for ourselves, right? Because we never, right. unless we're touched by the Spirit, we never believe we're as bad as we actually are. But when we think of, of, of the great evils of the world, like Hitler, we long for transcendent punishment. But the only way there can be transcendent punishment is if there's transcendent morality. That's right. Um, which is a longing that we all have. So, yeah. Yeah, John, that was exactly where I was going to ask you. And if we push towards the solution of evil, that then becomes an apologetic to say to the skeptic, what is your solution? In other words, we weren't, let's say we don't know the theodicy, the answer to the theodicy question, but, but now we're pushing towards solutions, so we're saying we have the answer to that, and, and I think that that yeah. challenges in a different way. Is that kind of where you're heading in that discussion? Yeah, I- exactly, right? Like, I'm, I'm comfortable saying I don't know on the front end, because I have the, I know that the solutions have been revealed to me. Mm-hmm. On the back end, right? Like, like, um, repent and believe, right? Like, there's, there's a, a, a solution for myself existentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also, it, it tied into that, 
like in the psalmist, in the psalms, this is borne out all the time. Like in Psalm seventy-three, it it, mm-hmm. it opens up with you know how come the wicked are so prosperous and so right. happy? It's not just a material prosperity; it's an existential prosperity, mm-hmm. and yet. It, the psalm concludes, like, look, God is on his throne, and he's going to punish them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's comforting for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's comforting for us as a society. It's, it's comforting to know that the serial killers will face divine wrath. It's comforting to know that people who get away with, you know, with sex trafficking are, are going to one day face their, their creator and suffer under his divine wrath. Um, it, it, of course, then that gives us the opportunity to narrow it down to ourselves and ask, well, right. okay, where do I fit under this? Yeah. And there's a, um, a great little book called Bite Size Theology by a guy named Peter Jeffrey. And, and in it, at the beginning, it's, it's, a, it's a very, like, pre-systematic theology book. Anyway, it's, at the beginning, he, he has a comment about, like, all problems in theology stem with, from the fact that we don't understand who God is. Mm. Um, and, and, and this is, steers us into that, right? Like, like if, if I have a problem with God's wrath, especially as it applies to me, that means that, one, I'm not willing to see God as he reveals himself in the Bible, um, and I'm also not willing to see myself in relation to God. Mm. Um, so these are all natural, and you and your brothers know this, right? These are all natural steps in essentially just sharing the gospel with a skeptic that we've gotten to from, you know, them bringing up the problem of evil. Which is one of the things I, I push the students to is like, look, like, like, the gospel solves everything. Like, like the the gospel is the one apologetic answer that we've always got to share. Yeah, that's good. That's that's what I believe. So, yeah, that's good. And I, I I think going back to what you said earlier, again, the the goal is to introduce them to Christ. It's not mm-hmm. to check a box and say I've won this argument. I think. Um, mm-hmm. For some reason, we use C.S. Lewis's uh, conversion story as a norm, um, mm-hmm. you know, where he goes through all the different isms, and finally, I think he puts it in the Pilgrim's Regress. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it walks us back there, and we think, well, we need to know all of that, when really, as, as you said, mm-hmm. it's like, this is God, and because this is God, this is who you are, so what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Uh so people oftentimes ask me, like, what arguments convinced you that God existed? And I always get the impression people are often disappointed by my answer, because my answer is is that, well, it's because my mom ate my nasty vegan lasagna I made. Um, <laughs> uh, right? It's, it's, it's the love that was shown to me by believers. It was an existential, mm. the, the existential tricks I had to kick against were far harder than any intellectual arguments I came against. Because the reality was is that most Christians I came across when I was an atheist knew far less about the Bible than I did. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, oftentimes I get the impression that uh, when people ask me that question, they're disappointed by my answer because they're looking for, like, the, the, the like, answer the, to beat all answers in terms of, like, okay, I have this atheist friend or family member. What was it that finally convinced you so I can tell them? And I say, well, it's because my mom ate my vegetarian lasagna. Just, just as a quick aside, your my Joy and I were discussing your mom the other night, and uh-huh. she once again pointed out how much of an incredible impact your mother had on her life, just with your mother's everyday mm-hmm. testimony. And she looks forward to seeing her again. So, just hey, man, thankful for your family. Oh, 
but not you, but not you personally. <laughs> Especially since I just presuppositionalist. You know what? You know what? That's that's the black mark that will not be erased. <laughs> hey, uh, John. Well, then it will shock you to know that I consider myself a presuppositionist. Oh, oh, here we go. We got the answer at the very end. <laughs> Hey, John, we are needing to wrap things up here, but I wanted to ask you, if you, you gave one resource earlier, uh, the Bite Size Theology. Do you have maybe two or three other resources for our listeners as we're kind of winding things down here? Um, yeah, in reference kind of to what I do, uh, there's also um, a book called, uh, it's a really small book, both of those books are really small, called uh, Engaging Atheists um, by, it's a Scottish pastor, uh, his name's also on mine, I'm pulling the book off my shelf right now, uh, David Robertson. It's published by the Good Book Company. Okay. Um, so he goes through ten steps of, of kind of things to do, and his first step is listen, which I think is very important when we're when we're talking with atheists. Absolutely. Um, so that's a good book. I, um, and this will also tip my hand into what type of presuppositionalist I am. I think if you just if you wanted to to buy one apologetics book, you should probably get John Frame's book, um, so the updated one on apologetics. It's excellent. Um, it is just, excellent. Yeah, um, that's a. I think that's a very helpful book. Uh, if, if for those who want to go a little deeper, and I don't agree with everything he says, um, but it's a sort of a good encyclopedia book. Norman Geisler book on apologetics. He goes through all the different worldviews in it and different apologetic approaches and stuff. Um, and it's just a, to me that's a great resource just in terms of being able to to begin to wrap your brain around all the competing worldviews and different approaches and things like that. Um, and then, of course, I think that anyone who's really serious should probably spend a lot of time reading Charles Taylor, uh, Secular Age, um, to get a good understanding of what we're actually dealing with in terms of, of our overarching worldview. Um, yeah, and also another resource, if I could plug myself, is uh, they could contact me, and I would be more than happy to come to their church or Christian school and, and conduct uh my seminars. Oh, what is your blog? Out one thing I, yeah. Excellent, excellent, man. Um, yeah, please do uh, plug yeah, your blog, plug and, your we'll blog and how people can yeah. uh, get in touch with you for, yeah, for having you, you as a resource. Yeah, uh, the, the link to it. It's um, and, and we're going to be changing because we're going to be setting up a blog specifically for my apologetic stuff. But right now, it's practicallyknowntheology.com, and I'll send you guys, you brothers, the link to it so you can put it in um, in the thing if you want. Um, and, and that blog has my contact info on it as well. Uh, one thing we didn't mention, that I think that that, that helps make me, uh, I don't have unique talents, I don't want to say that, but I have a, a set of training and talents and, and life experiences that kind of come together in a, in a possibly unique way. I'm a trained actor, and I was a professional actor for years. So in, in the role-playing, it's not, not only was I an atheist, uh, I was. I've also been trained in improv. Um, so, because I've I had some seminary professors tell me they wanted to do this with their students for a while, but they just they don't have the training to be able to to do it the way I do it. So that's when you worked with like Second it. City, right? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, you know, there's a part of me that wishes I had, and there's a part of me that's very glad I didn't. Yes, my life would have had a completely different trajectory. That's right. I worked with Second City. Oh sure. man. Well, uh, as we wrap things up here, let me just say again, thanks uh, to John uh, for being on the show today. And uh, if you'd like to um, get more resources about Walrus and Carpenter, you can go to wallcarpradio.wordpress.com or facebook.com slash wallcarpradio. 
Um, you can uh, head over to iTunes and uh, leave us a rating there. That helps things out, helps helps us get our name out there, and people can listen to great interviews like we had with John Ellis today. Thanks, John, so much. Appreciate it, Oh, man. thank you for having me. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we'll uh, see you guys in the next episode.